Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Weekday Wednesday, Tucson, Arizona's number one online radio podcast about all things medical cannabis. Your host, Bellstar. And the Cannabis Kid. Our show features news, interviews, and all the latest information about anything and everything medical cannabis related in Tucson, Arizona, and, and the, the world, world at large. We'd love to hear from you. Please give us a call live at 646-915-8421. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on all social media, or email thctucson at gmail.com. We'd like to thank Tumbleweed's Health Center and Studio C, along with our many sponsors for hosting our show every week. With the lowest price certifications in town, you'll find hemp products, accessories, and all things related to medical cannabis education. Visit Tumbleweed Health Center at 4826 East Broadway Boulevard or online at tumbleweedhealthcenter.com. And remember, be smart, be safe, and educate. Five days until Christmas. Mr. Bong's ready. It's coming. 185 days. Can you believe it? That's insane. Ooh, it's going to be a good one this year. People are let loose. They're getting out there. They're trying to fly. There's a shortage of uh, staff, so no one can fly. Guys, get some jobs. No one can fly. June 23rd, what is everybody up to? Grand Island, welcome aboard. How you guys doing out there? What's the weather? We're at like 9,000 degrees. No, actually, I think we're... Uh, let's see. Where are we? Where are we in the world of weather here in this lovely Tucson, Arizona? It's only 86 degrees. It's only going to be 86. 95 today. Feels like it's 100 and something. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show, folks. We'd say Wednesday. Wow, you know, just talking with somebody the other day. We've been doing this for over nine years. Ooh, yeah, that's a long time. I'm sitting here sitting, sipping my tea for nine years on the floor somewhere. <laughs> that's how we do it around here. We get something cozy. So, no guests. Today, uh, we do, however, have a lot of news to play. So, yeah. I'll play. I'll read it. News of the world. If you haven't seen that movie, it's great. I was very hesitant to like Tom Hanks in that. I really was because it just, I'm a Western fan. We all know that. And Tom just didn't fit the bill. He just, but he did. He did a good job. Go, Tom. I still can see other people in it, actually. Because <laughs> sometimes when you put too famous a person in a movie, for me anyway, it kind of ruins it. Like M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. I loved it until I saw William Hurt and Sigourney Weaver show up. I was like, oh, I flew it. I could see all this crap in the forest <laughs> until you guys were like, come to save the day. <laughs> at least the movie. 
Anyway, welcome to Wednesday, Wednesday. What's going on in the world? I know New York is not up for the Delta 8. Which is actually putting some um, sales on the on the lowdown over there. Um, so there's a couple things going on. First of all, let's Retail Center, 4826 East Broadway Boulevard. Come on down. Get certified. Super simple. And you usually get your card the same day. Yeah, it's really, really, really great. If not, the next day. Um, it depends on how late in the day you come and how fast we get it processed. You can go to tumbleweedshealthcenter.com. And um, the great thing about having a website with a super long name now is just if you go to Google and you say, you know, whatever you need to say to open up your browser, I'm not going to say it because mine's going to open. Um, and then you just say Tumbleweed Cell Center and it'll pop up. Uh, click the certifications link. There's a book and appointment button right there. It looks like a, looks like a piece of wood. <laughs> so click the piece of wood that says book appointment. Maybe I can make that into a button or something. I think I will. Uh, what conditions qualify you for a medical cannabis card? Uh, this is great. Arizona lets a lot of conditions qualify. Now, there's still some that, you know, like anxiety and things like that and other things that need to be uh, on the list just for, you know, general folks that don't have full-on PTSD but do have uh, a lot of anxiety issues. But um, anyway, PTSD is one of those where the state requires that you're seeing your own doctor and you bring those records to us, and we'll, we'll uh, take it over from there. Uh, we'll fill out the state form from there. But you have to have your own. Uh, cancer, glaucoma, AIDS, chronic pain covers everything. Fibromyalgia, RA, um, all your arthritis is um, irritable bowel syndrome. That's not good. Um, but migraines, um, anything, DDD, anything going on. Uh, severe nausea seizures, including epilepsy, but, you know, all seizures, HIV, hepatitis, ALS, Crohn's disease, agitation of Alzheimer's, which we talk about. Um, we should probably replay part of the show one day. It was years ago. We had a specialist on, and I apologize uh, for not remembering the name. Um, but this, this this gentleman was schooled in, like, there were, like, 29 different types of Alzheimer's disease. Uh, all the way to dementia, but there are a ton of types, so it's not just, you know, Alzheimer's. Cachexia uh, or wasting syndrome, severe muscle spasms, including multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, things like that. Uh, you are eligible for your medical cannabis card if you suffer from a chronic or a debilitating disease or a medical condition or just a treatment for a chronic or debilitating disease uh, or medical condition that causes any of the above conditions or more. So if, if you're, if you're, Ailment is not on this list, but you do have something going on and the treatment's causing something on that list, then you're good to go. If you suffer from one of these medical conditions and have been diagnosed by an Arizona licensed physician, medical cannabis may help relieve your symptoms. Tumbleweeds Health Center is Arizona's premier cannabis certification health and education center. Our primary focus is to help the patients of Arizona obtain their medical marijuana card and educate everyone about medical cannabis. With current medical records, approval is a simple process. Contact Tumbleweeds Health Center to see if you qualify for your Arizona medical marijuana card. Yep, give us a call, 520-838-4430. You can email thctucson at gmail.com. Uh, and if you go to tumbleweedshealthcenter.com, 
there are there's a form at the bottom of the first page you can fill out and all sorts of buttons and links to get to us. So come on down. Um, it's a super simple process. We're running a special right now, $2.99 for everything. Yeah, yeah. That includes the state fee. That includes if you don't have medical records. So if you uh, need an evaluation plus your certification, we got that covered. And the processing fee. That's all those fees covered for $2.99. No hidden fees. Someone called the other day. They're like, yeah, but what, what is the cost of process? I said, no, that's it. And they're like, oh, I'll be right down. Speaking of be right down, we take walking any day, all day. We are open 10 to 6, Monday through Friday, 10 to 3 on Saturdays. Uh, so come down. No appointment needed. You can definitely make one. And you can do telemedicine. Uh, if you don't want to come down, if it's just too dang hot out, because it has been, but it's only 95 today, folks, so no excuses. Uh, but you can do telemedicine, uh, you will keep the car away or whatever. Just give us a call or fill out our telemedicine form online, and we will go from there. All right. Um, ooh, let's give a shout-out also to Canna Health Online Digital Magazine. Canna Health is a digital magazine focused on knowledge, safe access, and advocacy with a monthly subscription readership. It's loaded with scientific and clinical articles from various healthcare professionals, profiles of cannabis clinics offering safe access to medicines, national and local organizations open to the public, and real-life patient success stories. It's free to subscribe, so don't miss another issue of Canna Health. That's right, and you can uh, get right to their uh, website from our website. If you just go to the radio section, scroll down to some of our sponsors. They are one of them. Also, you can also check out Grower's House. There's a link for Grower's House as well. Uh, 3635 East 34th Street, go and check them out. Uh, 10 Buds and CBDVS also are two more sponsors. And I can see we can kind of see the C and the B, but... I got to fix that for them because it's not showing up on our background <laughs> for whatever reason. I tried. I tried to edit it, and that's just not me. But their logo is, is CBD, so check them out. Um, all right, what is going on? So we're going to do a little news. We are going to um, listen to a little bit of Doug Fine, which is awesome sauce, and then um, take a little break and come back and probably do it all over again. If you want to call in at 646-915-8421, this area. Okay. Um, let's see. So here we go. So there's a lot going on in Arizona right now. Um, there's expungements that are trying to happen. Um, there is a lottery now for the social equity program. Uh, Recreational just launched, and it's uh, it's getting better, but it was quite a mess. <laughs> quite a mess. I'm not sure how we're doing that. But if you want to get in and get, get out quickly and you want to save 25%, yeah, 25% tax ugh, uh, on rec. So get your medical and you're not paying that at all. So there's a new AZ website that helps people expunge cannabis convictions. But here's the deal. Okay, I'll read it. Uh, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off already. <laughs> I'll read it first. <laughs> and then I'll state my opinion. This is all it is, me and my opinion. Uh, if you haven't noticed, Canada's kid is not here. <laughs> but that's if, if you notice. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the Arizona Administrative Office of the Court posted a website with information on marijuana-related uh, expungement. The website 
www.azcourts.gov slash prop 207, which um, I will actually put that uh, in our blog right now so that you all have that. Um, here we go. It's in our chat box. So if you want to get over there through the chat box, you can. All right. Um, it provides information on the voter-led initiative forms and instructions, frequently asked questions, and more. Ballot initiative, Prop 207, called the Smart and Safe Arizona Act, passed in November 2020, with certain provisions taking effect when the election results were certified shortly after. Provisions for expunging records that show the arrest charge, uh, education, conviction, and sentence of certain marijuana-related offenses takes effect July 12, 2021. The website will help individuals determine if they qualify for expungement and will provide forms for instructions uh, for filing. Adult and juvenile arrests, charges, uh, education, convictions, and sentences are eligible for expungement if the applicant meets the requirements in ARS 36-2862 and Rule 36, Arizona Rules of Criminal Procedure. So um, doesn't look like they're going to go into that. The expungement process seals records from the public while keeping, keeping them available to the person arrested, charged, uh, convicted, or sentenced. Implementation can be complicated in part because records eligible for expungement can be included on documents with other ineligible offenses, or that it include information that co-defendants not eligible uh, for expungement. Uh, oh, yeah. The Arizona Supreme Court issued Administrative Order 2021-82, giving courts standardized procedures to implement the expungement process. Depending on the facts of the arrest, charge, conviction, or sentence, the petition may need to be filed in a municipal court, justice court, or superior court. There's no filing fee to file a petition for expungement. Petitions cannot be filed until July 12, 2021. And says, for more information, go to that link, which we're going to go to now. And this is at azcourts.gov. Marijuana, oh, Arizona, <clears throat> this is Prop 207, Marijuana Legalization Initiative, Smart and Safe Arizona. Also known as the Smart and Safe Arizona Act, Proposition 207 was a voter initiative that appeared on the November 3rd, 2020 Arizona general election ballot, passing with about 60% of the vote. The proposition allowed the legalization, taxation, and recreational use of cannabis for adults 21 and over. This page provides resources about the initiative and marijuana conviction expungement process in Arizona. Uh, there's an overview, there's a timeline, and a frequently asked question. Um, <clears throat> so, oh, <laughs> so the overview is just what they just read. A vote yes supports the valid initiative to legalize possession and use of marijuana for persons who are at least 21 years or old. Okay, and then you can also, there is another part, oh, uh, overview, and um, re- you can read the full text of the ballot if you want. You can also go to the timeline and the frequently asked questions. What does expungement mean? Uh, Can I petition the court? There's a whole lot of questions here. Um, So, oh, here's a good one. Will the prosecutor file to expunge on my behalf? (laughs) The big answer is, now I don't know who's going to pay for this. Maybe. It's a definite maybe. Come on, guys. The prosecutor's permitted 
to file on your behalf on request, but it's not required. Check with the office that did the original prosecution. See, this sounds like a whole lot of hubbub to me. Um, and you're not going to get expunged if you're not within the 207. So what about people that had slightly over that? What if they had three ounces? Or I don't know. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, um, there's your expungement. Now, um, if you want, let's see. Yeah, I think we have time. We can read about the social equity licenses. This is where it gets interesting. Boy, I hate these pop-ups. I wish they wouldn't pop up. Okay. Cannabis, this is coming from the Phoenix New Times. Uh, this is like our weekly, but um, it's probably a lot bigger. <clears throat> Actually, I, used to, I lived in Tempe twice and we were bigger. Well, it was back then anyway. <laughs> Cannabis advocates rip Arizona's draft rules for social equity licenses, quote, social equity licenses. <laughs> and there's the uh, Monopoly man with his passing go and getting his bag of money and there's a whole line the whole street is just medical stuff i mean just uh, marijuana stuff dispensaries and blah 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 all right did you have a low income year in 2019 did you ever get busted for a small amount of marijuana in arizona if you can answer yes to both of these questions you just qualified to enter a drawing for one of the state's 26 quote social equity quote cannabis dispensary and cultivation licenses under Arizona's new draft rules. Oh my God. Now all you need is $5,000 for the non-refundable fee to enter this lottery. Oh, I heard that it was totally, uh, well, yeah, I heard it was refundable. There you go. Oh God. (laughs) Okay. 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 If you're looking for the social equity quote, part of this new social equity policy, you're not alone. Cannabis advocates criticized the draft rules in a big way this week, decrying the weak, uh, the weak equity efforts and saying the most likely result if these rules went into effect would be a swift grab of the 26 licenses by established cannabis companies. As many have noted, the rules provide no direct help to minority communities or individuals and seem to be contrary to what voters wanted from the social equity portion of Arizona's new recreational legalization law. (laughs) Under the current language, a white billionaire's 18-year-old son with a single pot arrest would qualify for a social equity license. Well, how? What? Was he living on the streets or just had his own apartment he'd have to pay for? Well, I don't understand that. But there's still time for the state to change the rules and for you to help influence that change. The state set up a poll for the public to weigh in. Click here to access the survey. I'll put that on the little bloogity blog, too. Uh, Once you've read up on the draft rules below and the assorted opinions about them, the survey deadline is over. Oh. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It was May 16th. Well, I wonder how that happened. I wonder what happened. Um, yeah, I don't think they were going to change anything. So basically, that's really lame. If you had, so what do they consider low income? We're going to have to find out. And um, I'm going to have to find, so here's, no, that's the survey we can't take anymore. Oh my God. So sorry. It's crazy. So here it is. The draft rules criteria require licensed applicants to have earned no more than twice the federal poverty limit in 2019, which would 
be about $25,000 annually for an individual and $50,000 for a family of four. Wow. Okay. So that's crazy. Um, wow. Okay. That's the winners of the uh, license lottery and the draft rule system would be uh, besieged by multi-state license holders. Uh, they'll probably offer this individual more money than they've ever seen in their life. They think they'll hit the jackpot. And that's basically what happens. So the rules say that if or when somebody wins one of these 26 licenses, they can turn around in a blink of an eye and sell it for a dollar or $30 billion. It's, it's absolutely insane. Which if someone was smart, they, they, you know, at least go for like, I don't know, $100 million. A billion dollars for my dispensary because you don't, don't make it fast. Um, okay, well I apologize. What a what a bad reporter. Is <laughs> in their latest news? I don't know. Um, maybe they're just they go into talking about. Um, they did some interviews with with, with folks. Anyway. Oh, well, we'll click out of that. And we could talk about, oh, here's something fun that you all like. I know everybody in Grand Island will like this. A momentous fortune for the NFL players can now use marijuana during the off-season. Yeah, go smoke your weed. Put your weed in it. That's awesome. Why should they have to worry? They get banged up all day. They should smoke a doo-doo when they get home or eat a brownie and relax. All right. For the first time since the NFL began its drug testing program, it will not test players for THC, the main chemical found in cannabis. That's fantastic. Just said that alone. <laughs> Following the league's most recent collective bargaining agreement, CBA. Passed last year, the push to reduce harsh penalties for the use of marijuana was successfully adopted. Coincidentally, the off-season drug testing window began April 20th. Oh, come on. And we'll run through August 9th of this year, just before preseason training begins for players. Celebrated for many years as the official holiday for marijuana users, uh, April 20th has recently become much more mainstream in American society as a major holiday devoting to celebrating cannabis and its culture. Even Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer described it as, quote, an unofficial American holiday, quote, last Tuesday. Oh, my Lord. Really? What do the new rules incorporate into the NFL's drug testing policy mean for players? Well, while NFL players will still be tested for THC once preseason action begins in August, well, they're going to have to stop in, like, beginning of July <laughs> to get all out of their system. The severity of punishment will be reduced greatly. Under the new CBA, the criterion for what constitutes a positive marijuana test has increased from 35 nanograms in a player system to 150 nanograms. Just as notable players can no longer be suspended from games for a positive result. Rather, the league can fine players for up to three weeks' pay. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. 
<clears throat> if players do test positive for marijuana during preseason training camps, a board of medical professionals delegated both by uh, players and the league will review their tests. A subsequent decision will then be made on whether the player requires treatment. Hmm. Hmm. In past seasons, severe penalties meant players not only lost pay but also missed games. One positive test culminated in a referral to the league's substance abuse program. If a second or third violation occurred, uh, players were fined, uh, pay for two to four games, respectively. A fourth violation resulted in a four-game suspension. A fifth violation was a 10-game suspension, and a one-year ban followed a sixth violation. According to the new CBA, the possibility of this occurring is less likely. That's scary. All right. Well, um, with the NFL deciding to pivot from significant punishment for positive marijuana tests or an approach that focuses on treatment and education, the league has begun mirroring not only uh, new reforms to legislation in many states, but also public sentiment on how marijuana usage should be viewed. In fact, the Gallup poll from November cited that some 68% of Americans now support legalization. Yeah, 68%. All right. Um, And that's it. There you go. There's the ticket. All you footballers can get high. Just like the rest of your fans are doing all day. Feeling bad for you getting slammed around knowing you're gonna put a bucket of ice on over. Ooh. Ooh, that's no fun. All right. All right. What else we got going on? What is this? What is this? Oh man. More states take action against Delta Eight THC. Ooh. We knew this was gonna happen. <clears throat> All right. As quickly as Delta Eight THC. Uh, seem to enter the public sphere, states are taking action to control and, in some cases, curb its growth. In late April, hemp grower reported that 12 states had already banned Delta-8. Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Colorado, Delaware, Kentucky, Idaho, Iowa, Mississippi, Montana, Rhode Island, and Utah. Arizona. At that time, legislative bans were also being pursued in North Dakota, Alabama, and Oregon. Uh, Since then, three more states have successfully banned the cannabinoid, New York, uh, North Dakota, and Vermont. Officials in Washington have also interpreted the law to say Delta-8 is illegal, though that ban is not enforced. More on that below. That brings the number of states with Delta-8 legislation up to 15. As of June 21st, these states have taken action against Delta-8 and similar THC isomers since hemp growers' last report. All right. Uh, New York. In May, the New York Department of Health updated its regulations to clarify that hemp cannabinoid products sold in the state may, quote, not contain synthetic cannabinoids or cannabinoids created through isomerization, including Delta-8 and Delta-10, as reported by J.D. Supra. They got Delta-8 and Delta-10 in there. Uh Uh-oh. North Dakota. Hmm. State Governor Doug Burgum said House Bill 1045 into law, oh, signed House Bill 1045 into law in late April. The law redefines THC as Delta 9 THC as well 
as any of its isomers, including Delta-7, Delta-8, Delta-10, THC. Products in the state uh, may contain THC, including the aforementioned isomers, as long as all combined THC contained <clears throat> remains under the federal limit of 0.3%. Vermont says in late April, the Vermont Agency of Agriculture, Food, and Markets posted a notice regarding the legality of Delta-8 THC. Quote, is the manufacture of Delta-8 THC or its use in hemp products permitted under the Vermont Hemp Program? The short answer is no. The agency writes on its website, clarifying the state's hemp rules ban the, quote, use of synthetic cannabinoids in the production of any hemp product or hemp-infused product, quote. However, the, not- the notice also clarifies that producers may create distillates and isolates of hemp's naturally occurring cannabinoids. <clears throat> because Delta-8 is most often derived from CBD or Delta-9 THC conversion, it is considered synthetic. And Washington, also in late April, Washington's Liquor and Cannabis Board issued a policy statement on THC compounds that are not currently specified in Washington's law regulations. Quote, Delta-8 THC as well as derivatives, extracts, cannabinoids, isomers, and CBD isolate from hemp or other sources that are genetically or chemically altered into compounds may not be produced or processed in LCB licensed facilities, and may not be sold in licensed marijuana retail stores, quote, the policy state. However, this does not necessarily mean the cannabinoid is banned outright in the state. The LCB's notice was only an interpretation of the law as it relates to the legal cannabis market. Further, the LCB later clarified that its statement was, quote, advisory only, quote. And then we've got... um, pending legislation, uh, and we will get to that right after we get to this. I'll be blazing and smoking it, about to go and get some munchies next Passing up on those cracker jacks, Reese's pieces are where it's at Gotta get me some soda, pop cotton mouth has been creeping up I can't remember where I put my keys, yeah, that's what's up I'ma take your grandpa's ride, I'ma take your grandpa's ride No, for real, ask your grandpa, can I take a 65? Seville cruising to my local Publix Nothing better than rolling with two super fly chicks They have frozen burritos, I bought frozen burritos I bought some Ben and Jerry's, and then I bought some Cheetos Hello, hello, my main man Obama A couple states have just reformed their laws on marijuana What you gonna do, send the feds there? Hell no, the DEAs would be like, aw, they got volcanoes I'm gonna smoke some weed, only got $20 in my pocket I'm a hunt, looking for a pot shop, this is fucking
know about the science of marijuana? What you know about people suffering from glaucoma? They need it. They need it. It helps them with their condition. If you don't believe me, then just ask some eye physicians. Thank your granddad for voting for that guy, Richard. Nixon is the president who made the plant illegal. But science is now showing that it's medicine for people and the private sector fighting to keep all of that illegal. Alcohol and tobacco, pharmaceutical prisons. I'll take those four major lobby groups and fight those motherfuckers. They're making money day and night, all those motherfuckers. And bribing Congress out of sight, all those motherfuckers. They'd be like, oh, it's immoral and unhealthy. I'm like, how many people are you making wealth? Anti-marijuana lobbies are making all kinds of profits and they don't want you to stop it because of all the special interest. I call that getting swindled and pimped shit. I call that getting tricked by the government. That law's hella old. So it's time to update it, regulate it, and then get it under state control. Peak game, look into my political telescope. Think it's gonna stay like this forever? Not hella won't. Not hella won't. Hey Obama, stop being a hypocrite. You used to smoke weed, I'm gonna of removing Delta 8 from source. Well, the hippies got creative. Stoners are smart. That's what I always say, man. They don't want you to take all the way away. They're going to get around it somehow. <laughs> all right, so we're talking about states that are pending uh, legislation on the whole Delta 8 removal and Delta 7 and Delta 10. And Well, of course, we know Delta 9. Okay, other states are pursuing similar action on THC isomers. Some bills are still being considered by state legislators, while others have fizzled out. Here's an update on current and previous pending legislation. Alabama. The hemp industry dodged a bullet when an amendment that would have banned Delta 8 and Delta 10 production was removed from House Bill 2, which passed into law in late April. A similar amendment was proposed by lawmakers to the state's medical marijuana bill, Senate Bill 46. The House Health Committee rejected the amendment, but the bill's sponsor asked for the amendment to be tabled by the committee, according to Alabama political reporter. Ooh, they dodged a big bullet. Illinois. State Representative Bob Morgan introduced legislation that would require testing and labeling products containing Delta 8 THC, CBD, and other cannabinoids before they can be sold or distributed. The state's legislative session adjourned May 31st before the bill could pass. Hmm. Interesting again. Let's see. Uh, Michigan. Uh, in late March, lawmakers introduced House Bill 4517, which mid- which would make it illegal to produce or sell Delta 8 and any other THC isomer outside of state licensed marijuana businesses. According to M Live, the bill would expand the definition of marijuana to include 
all types of THC, quote, regardless of whether it is artificially or naturally derived. Quote, the bill is currently moving through the state legislature. Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Senate Bill 1033 recently signed into law to update medical cannabis laws in the state had at one time included provisions to define Delta 8 and Delta 10 as, quote, marijuana, quote. However, the law passed without that provision, making the THC isomers unregulated for now in the state, according to uh, KO Law Office. Oregon House Bill 3000, which is moving through the state legislature, would authorize the Oregon Liquor Control Commission, the OLCC, you down with OLCC, okay, to regulate artificially derived cannabis, which includes Delta-8 THC. The bill also helps clarify and define, quote, adult-use cannabis, quote, artificially derived cannabinoid, quote, and THC. Oregon just, like, legalize everything, like everything in the whole world you can do over there, Smoke dope and I don't know. Texas, uh oh, hook 'em horn. Some interpretations of House Bill 3948 in, uh, indicated Texas was taking aim at Delta 8 and other similar THC isomers by banning the sale and consumable hemp products that contain synthetically derived cannabinoids. However, the state's legislative session ended May 31st, leaving those isomers unregulated in the state for now. Hook 'em horn. Uh, really, Texas is unregulated? <laughs> yeah, how'd that go again? Right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and that was from Cannabis Business Times. Woo-hoo. All right. Now, let's listen to, speaking of business, let's listen to a little Doug Fine. We love our Doug Fine. And I'm going to have to clap because I just had to remove, I switch programs. <laughs> okay, so we are listening to American Hemp Farmer Adventures and Misadventures in the Cannabis Trade. Um and we only have an hour and nine minutes left. So let's turn this up for Doug Fine. And let's see here. We are going to start right here. You're listening to Tumbleweed Health. No, you're listening to We Say Wednesday. Brought to you by Tumbleweed Health Center, CDC. And this is Doug Fine. Three modes are carbon neutral or carbon sequestering. As a starting point, I'll suggest that our craft market sector define its upper production level parameters at 15 annual tons of product by prepackaged weight. That's a semi-random amount. Maybe I'll look back on that number and laugh at its paltriness. In my own enterprise, it would mean 150,000 units of hemp in hemp in three-ounce bottles. Even split among several partners and with profit sharing and expenses, that would leave my family with a more comfortable living than we've ever experienced and it could be done regeneratively on 20 acres. To the increased regionalization of our economy, I vote yay. Why buy the far-off corporate toothpaste option when the local one will probably be better and you'll be sequestering carbon with your purchase? Let's also remember that when we buy fungible disposable stuff from far away, we have little or no idea about factors like carbon emissions and labor practices. But I've long wondered how successful entrepreneurs feel about the idea of self-enforced expansion limits. While moderating a panel at a 2016 industry conference, this, do we want one giant righteous hemp seed oil company or soap company, or should there be many small and mid-sized ones question, of two of my business heroes, 
David Bronner, CEO of Dr. Bronner's, and John Rulak, founder of Nutiva and RE Botanicals. Full disclosure, you can sometimes find me chewing on a Nutiva organic hemp and chia or coconut macaroon, mm. and I do my washing up with Dr. Bronner's organic soap, almond. <laughs> my family goes through a gallon of the stuff per month. In fact, I think the west side of the company's production facility is primarily for our use. Both these fellows run undeniably righteous organic-only companies, and I profile both in Hempbound. Both companies are also <laughs> rapidly growing, and each is selling north of $100 million annually. These guys run enterprises that are the anti-Dawn liquid or anti-Mazzola corn oil, but in the organic space, their brand names are ubiquitous the way Mazzola and Dawn once were. Nutiva, in fact, is the largest organic superfood company in the world. It's a testament to the integrity and confidence of both John and David that they placed no restrictions on what I might ask them in front of a live audience. In their answers to the question, they both expressed no qualms about regional competition. Instead of appreciating their forthrightness and lofting a softball follow-up, I also broached packaging. Mm. Great. How soon are your companies going to be shipped entirely in bio-based regenerative materials with your delivery and distribution networks at 100% carbon neutral? They didn't blink. John pointed out that Nutiva has a zero-waste headquarters and warehouse where 770 metric tons of waste gets diverted from landfills each year for reuse or recycling. David's answer was, we're at 100% post-consumer recycled bottles, and we had to fight for that. Both said their goal is a completely regenerative enterprise. I think they like the challenge embedded in these questions. They are, after all, entrepreneurs. Hmm. Entrepreneurial minds are weird. They don't rest for long. <laughs> if any large companies are going to become 100% regenerative anytime soon, Dr. Bronner's and Nutiva are obvious frontrunners. Point is... This distribution issue is another category we have to address if we're serious about establishing a regenerative economy. The further you ship, unless you're using a solar-powered plane and electric trucks, the more petroleum or coal you use. Someone, one supposes, will have to stock Costco while there's still a box store model. And I love knowing I can find Bronner's soap from Hawaii to Prague. But for most producers in the coming era, I think regional is the name of the game. In the end, it's up to us as producers and enjoyers of cannabis hemp products to decide what kind of industry and wider economy we'd like to help emerge. I'm buying green chili hemp, carbon sink hemp, moon cycle hemp sap. What do you grow around here that's phenomenal? I'll ask the hemp shop saleswoman in Angerwatt, Baton Rouge, or Dakar. Do you process it by ancient modes? Are you the farmer? As long as it meets a few benchmarks, organic, local, all good ingredients, I'll try the top shelf selection, make a mental review, buy a few extra bottles or tubes or shirts, ukuleles or batteries if it's as phenomenal as advertised. But most of the time, I'll probably think I'm sticking with hemp and hemp because as cannabis cultivation legend Ed Rosenthal points out, the best herb you've ever enjoyed is the crop you grew yourself. <laughs> I Amen. hope you feel that way about your product. Everyone should. Mm -hmm. And it'll come out in your marketing. I suggest being humble but proud of your hard work as a farmer entrepreneur who's trying to help your species endure.
Mm-hmm. That's true, but... Chapter 17. The Friendly Fungus and the Hairnet. Nothing your own stuff. <laughs> the human body is an elaborate vessel optimized for the growth and spread of our microbial inhabitants. Justin Sonnenberg, microbiologist, Stanford University. Imagine for a moment that it's harvest season 2025. Our web of regional networks is distributing terrific product and sequestering millions of tons of carbon. Farmers are thriving, your group among them. Last season, you shipped 11 tons of hemp in various forms, mostly value-added. This year, it's looking like 11.2 tons. If this is the state of things, it means we farmer entrepreneurs have realized a key off-the-field goal, the establishment of workable regulations for our craft hemp niche. A half decade in advance of that reality, we're all immersed in our distinct phases of the moment, relentlessly inching forward, hopefully having some fun along the way. But if we're going to reach the promised land of an independent, farmer-dominated, regenerative hemp industry, I hope we have the sheer business sense to initiate our craft sector's distinct regulatory structure. The reason we're going to embed farmer-friendly hemp production channels in coming policy is not so that we can make extra profit. It's so that we can be unhindered as we provide top-shelf bioavailable products. It's so that what we are at core is allowed to thrive. We are vintners, not cookie-cutter mass marketers. We're going to make sure we can reliably get folks these superlative and righteous salves, boots, and goat treats. Just as we discussed earlier regarding genetics access, we're interested in production policy that actively encourages a level playing field for those of us producing those 15 tons of product or less per year. That means policy that equally ensconces our craft market's place alongside the fungible wholesale and pharma sides of the industry. And this rule structure will apply for food grade and non-food grade products. It's on the food and nutritive supplement side, of course, where the FDA comes in. Defining our sector by annual production volume is just one way to categorize ourselves. Maybe the craft sector will be quantified by additional variables. Maybe proof of carbon sequestration and organic status can allow even larger producers to participate under the special guidelines we're going to establish. Regardless, regenerative craft production sounds like a great section of the Digital Age Homesteading Act or the Green New Deal. Mm. I also like soil farming incentives. Fortunately, There's precedent for small batch production rules. The simplest is called cottage food law. It's what allows for craft fairs, some catering businesses, and farmer's markets. Vermont Lieutenant Governor David Zuckerman, a permitted hemp farmer, sells his smokable hemp flour at the Burlington Farmer's Market. The cottage rules vary per state. Missouri caps income at $50,000, while New Mexico has no income cap but a more specific roster of products that qualify. Very few states allow cottage-level rules at the retail level without the additional requirements that a larger food company faces, although some retailers, especially in rural communities, practice civil disobedience in this area. 
direct from farm, that is, under-the-table eggs, raw cheese, that sort of thing. As it stands today, once you get to professional production levels, you start dealing with food handling and food testing laws. These kinds of basic safeguards make sense. We all want the products we buy, especially food-grade products and products that touch our skin, to be safe. It's the homogenization of any variants, the death to all microbes, good and bad, direction of globalized food law for which we provide a countercurrent. We don't provide sterile products. We provide living products. With hemp, we have the opportunity and obligation to codify our living foods, in essence, to expand the essentially amateur limitations in existing cottage food rules to our 15-ton professional levels or wherever we land on ceilings. And we'd better do it before the mass market and farmer aspirants decide for us. We've got our work cut out for us. Our friend Roger Gushes of Healthy Oil Seeds in North Dakota is a perfect example of someone doing food-grade hemp production by the book. That's because at his volume levels, much higher than 15 tons per year, he's got his eye on proposed global food protocols. To say microbe testing eats up a lot of his time is an understatement. It's never-ending, he told me, as we toured his vast oil-pressing facilities in hairnets and smocks in 2018. Some of his grain storage bags were two stories high. We spent 2,000 hours and $20,000 last year going through something called the primus part of the Global Food Safety Initiative. We did it because we feel a retailer is going to ask for these certifications. I'm lucky that my wife and my sister are very good at keeping track of it all. It's more than a full-time job. I asked if the whole rigmarole made his pressed hemp seed oil safer. Taking a look at a temperature gauge on one of his presses, he thought about it for a few long seconds. Some of it does, he said. It involves testing for salmonella, coliforms, those kind of things. But in truth, we have a microbe kill step when we mildly heat our press to facilitate flow during the pressing process. Regardless, we go through this constant stream of documentation and inspections. Indeed, on the day of my visit, Roger and his team were prepping for yet another safety inspection. Even the calibration of his moisture testing equipment was part of the regulatory process, all because some mega farms can't seem to stop washing their dang romaine in contaminated irrigation canal water. Well, not just because of that, but small operators pay a disproportionate price for flaws in the mass agriculture infrastructure and for the worldwide homogenization of trade. Both the food system and its regulatory framework are designed for large globalized operators in cost and paperwork. One might accede to these kinds of rules if people were actually getting healthier as a result of them. As Edgar Winters puts it, all the paperwork, it's got nothing to do with how healthy food is. All the tests we got to do just for the state of Oregon alone, man, it's out of commission. Within the Hemp and Hemp Partnership, we're just beginning our research into Arizona and New Mexico food-grade production laws and our introductions to the people with whom we'll be dealing in various government agencies, since that's where we'll be processing our coming hemp harvests. Colin is further along on the food-grade front with his products. He said Vermont's rules are pretty workable. 
We apply to the Department of Health. We prove that we used a certified commercial kitchen. We keep good records, and that's pretty much all there is to it, he said. Vermont's is almost a cottage production regulatory framework mapped on a professional production-level enterprise, which is good. And worth noting that you don't hear many headlines about food contamination emanating from Vermont. But even Colin added that in anticipation of coming federal hemp standards from both USDA and FDA, we're working with in-state food safety experts who know which tests to run for our products. Best practices stuff, like will the products mold if they have water activity, or is the pH of the products enough to make them shelf-stable? Nationwide and collectively, if we're wise, our strategy is to expand the cottage food concept to a wider professional industry category. This category will reflect the key role small batch, top shelf branding already plays and, let us hope, will continue to play right from the launch of the modern hemp industry. How should our regs read? Herein resides the crossroads, I won't say collision course, of what I think of as the friendly fungus with what we might call the hairnet era. I first caught wind of the debate two decades before I ever imagined I might become part of it. It was when I was invited to taste an intentionally moldy rum in 1993. I was on a reporting assignment in Suriname on a humid tropical evening in capital Paramaribo. I was offered a taste of a popular local offering, iced. To procure it, folks went to the distillery and personally refilled their bottles from aged oak casks. Really aged, like two centuries aged. Normally, I'm not a fan of any hard alcohol, but this rum had an unbeatable supermarket pastoral. Plus, when in Rome, right? I allowed myself a measure from my host's cobalt blue bottle. And to my surprise, the mixture tasted like liquid butterscotch. Mm. It was unforgettably delicious and smooth. Somewhere deep in my boxes of analog notebooks, I have the rum's name written down. I think I had visions of becoming the exporter. At the time, on that colonial Dutch-era terrace, I inquired aloud of my host, why is this not the most popular drink in the world? The answer was a human-microbe relations issue. It tastes so smooth because the molds that start the fermentation of the sugar cane have been building up on the casks for 200 years, I was told. Ooh. International food rules require bleaching of production facilities, then introducing new molds. Doing that would kill off what's special about this rum. I like living foods. I eat as many living foods as I can. Furthermore, for most of human history, the kind of production mode I enjoyed in Suriname was the norm. In the words of author Stephen Buhner, Yeasts have had a relationship with humans since our emergence on the planet. The molds in the Surinamese rum's casks provided its taste profile. This is what I'm shopping for whenever possible in all my food. The most long-standing production modes. If they didn't work, they wouldn't have endured. No one wanted to die from tainted food even back then. Maybe more did die, maybe not. Evidently, botulism in Alaska increased significantly when Western food methods replaced traditional ubic fish fermentation techniques. The point is, 
humans had built-in techniques for food safety, or I wouldn't be writing these words and you wouldn't be reading them. Buhner devotes a fair amount of space to emphasizing our special relationship with the sugar-eating fungus Saccharomyces, an integral part of the human diet for millennia. Kentucky brewer and author Jeremy Zimmerman writes that medieval Scandinavians went so far as to save wild yeast on the juniper branches they used to filter their brews. Even today, high-end vintners make use of the fungus called Botrytis cinerea, known as noble rot, in the development of sweeter wines. Mm. Ask a champion winemaker to wipe out the local wild Botrytis, and she might weep. Without these living critters, as Buner describes them, we wouldn't have beer and we wouldn't have bread. Indeed, he and Zimmerman argue convincingly that yeast is the first human domesticated species. Living is the operative word here. As in our soil discussion, we're talking about complex beneficial symbiosis with millions of other species in our products, or at least harmless interactions. When it comes to hemp, we're not necessarily referring to any one microbe. We're talking more about a philosophy of raw or at least minimally processed food. In the end, there are microbes and there are microbes. Mm. As Michael Pollan puts it, some of my best friends are germs. Mm. When we speak of beneficial microbes, we mean beneficial not just for the soil, but also for the garden that is our gut. This is why I never look for antimicrobial products. I look for microbial balance. In many cases, you want the good ones. Waging a war on all microbes is the thinking that causes superbugs. By crafting and eating living food, we're trying to nurture the ones that play nicely with us. Obviously, there are dangerous microbes that we don't want in our food. Moving to the hairnet side of the discussion, in particular where it intersects with cannabis, I hark back to a 2018 conversation I had with a very smart Dutch colleague of mine. Oh, we're going to just save it right there and say thank you so much for tuning in to Weed Day Wednesday. We'll listen to the rest of that conversation next week. And thank you, Doug Fine, for always being awesome. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We love being here for you. We may or may not have a guest next week. Who knows if you what's going on? But in the meantime... Um, gee, get out there and uh, smoke some weed. Come get certified at Tumbleweed Health Center, 4826 East Broadway Boulevard. Come on down, Monday through Saturday. And as always, be smart, be safe, and educate. <laughs> Happy Wednesday, Wednesday, everybody. Have an awesome day, you guys. Don't forget, 185 days till Christmas.